Are you having spiritual encounters that are marking you? And are you making a way for the next generation to have those encounters? There has not been a massive response uh, like there was last week, really since 1973. Welcome to the One Cry Podcast, a nationwide call for spiritual awakening. The goal, accelerating the movement of God through sharing revival truth, stories, and reports. And now, your hosts, Bill Elif and Kyle Reno. Well, welcome to the One Cry Podcast. We're so honored that you're listening today. I'm Kyle Reno. This is Bill Elif. We get the privilege of hosting this, and our heart in this is just uh, to help, honestly, to help. Uh, share things with you that the Lord is teaching us and has taught us to let you hear some stories of what God is doing out there right now. All around the country. And, oh. and, and you know, Kyle, we have people listening from all around the world. That's pretty cool. It, it's, it's really awesome. And we're one little drop. This right. podcast and the whole One Crime movement is a significant thing, but it's one drop of what God is doing right. through so many groups and denominations and all kinds yeah. on college campuses. So. So we're glad to kind of add add a little shovel full to the pile That's of things right. that God is doing. And I think we're in a moment, you know. I think right now we're in a moment. And I'm not just, uh, we're, we're hearing so many people say that, sense mm-hmm. that, uh, because the need is so great. And moments mark you, mm-hmm. you know, moments, moments mark you in sometimes bad ways, mm-hmm. maybe experience you have, but also in good ways. And when mm-hmm. God does something in your life mm-hmm. in a moment, it can mark you and shape the rest of your life. And I know that you're going to lead us into that thought today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're taking these six weeks uh, to use the book of Joshua to illustrate how we need to prepare uh, the next generation for a movement uh, from God. You know, uh, today we're going to look at Joshua 5 for just a minute. And, and I love this story. You've, you've probably heard it of John Scully who was the youngest CEO ever of Pepsi Corporation. And he had a friend who had started a little startup uh, uh, computer company that was named after a fruit. (laughs) And he kept uh, trying to get uh, John Scully to leave Pepsi and to come join this little company called Apple. And uh, Scully said, I resisted it and resisted it and resisted. But he said, what got me? is one day we were sitting on a balcony overlooking Central Park in New York, and Steve Jobs turned to Scully and said, do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world? (laughs) And they did, right? They did. Uh, You know what we need right now? We need a generation of people who will say yes to God and change the world. And we're all sensing that God is raising up a generation to do that. Uh, We see in in Joshua 5 something uh, that that completely uh, teaches us about that, but you're going to be surprised at how it does it. So let me just read Joshua chapter 5. How do we raise up world changers? How do we raise up a revived generation that's going to change the world for the glory of God? Joshua 5.1 says, It came about... Remember, they're just coming into the land of Canaan when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan of the West, all the kings of the Canaanites were by the sea, heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they'd crossed. Their hearts melted, and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. 
And then this strange instruction from God. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make for yourself flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel a second time. (laughs) Now, I know you're sitting there thinking, what does circumcision have to do with revival, right? And and what is a, a bizarre moment? I mean, here they just conquered. Uh, you know, they're coming into the land. They've crossed over the land. They got momentum. And God says, now I want you to pause for a minute. And I want you to perform circumcision on all the males. And, and you know that makes them vulnerable to their enemies. Uh, it seemed like a bizarre request. But if you're a great leader like Joshua was, you don't ask questions. You just do what God says. And you bring God into the equation. And that's exactly what he did. Now, just think of this uh, in a new way, perhaps. Circumcision was a physical mark of a spiritual encounter that led to a new relationship with God. A, A physical mark of a spiritual encounter that led to a new relationship with God. In the Old Testament, this started with Abraham. And God told Abraham, circumcise all the males. And this was a sign. This was a mark that God was saying, I want them to be physically. They've encountered me. They're a new people, a new generation. And I want that to be so evident they'll never forget that, right? And it led to a new relationship with God. In the New Testament, it was the picture of cutting away of the flesh to make a new man in Christ. Still the same picture of a new covenant relationship with God. Colossians 2.11 says this, In him, in Christ, you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And then verse 13, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made us alive together with him, having forgiven us for all of our sins. So why did God have Joshua do this? And what does this mean as we seek to reach the next generation and prepare them for a new movement uh, with God? Well, here's the point. The next generation needs a fresh encounter, encounter that will mark them. And we can help in that. You can help in that. The next generation needs a fresh encounter with God that will mark them. Now remember, Joshua 5 comes on the heels of 40 years where the last generation has just wandered and then died. I mean, what a a meaningless existence, right? Because they wouldn't believe, because they didn't have enough faith to believe God when he said, go across the Jordan. They said, well, they're giants. There are obstacles that we can't do that. God said, okay, that generation is just going to wander and die. But I'm going to raise up a next generation. And I'm going to raise up a next generation leader that can take them into the land. And right at the beginning, before their first battle, they had an encounter that would mark them as God's own people, right? You know what our next generation needs? You say, oh, they need better government. Well, and granted, they need uh, good health care. They need nice schools. They need greater infrastructure. We need a better internet. Well, all that's, all that's fine. But you know what the next generation really needs? 
They need a fresh encounter with the God of the universe that would mark them. It would just mark them for, for the rest of their lives. Can I tell you about, about one encounter like that that I had? I was in college uh, in the 70s, the 1970 and, and on. That was right when the Jesus movement was happening all across our nation. And, and there was an atmosphere, literally, of, of revival. It was so thick on our little Baptist college in Arkansas uh, that many of us would pray sometimes all night long. And we just thought it was normal. We just, you know, we didn't plan that. It just, we couldn't help but do it. I, re I remember going into the little chapel and, and praying sometimes all night long and waking up at eight o'clock late for class and uh, realizing we just prayed all night. We didn't schedule that. We just did that. We were so hungry. God was creating this hunger in us. And then one day a man came to our uh, chapel named Jack Taylor who had, who had been in his church. They planned a meeting with a guy named Manly Beasley who, who became a great mentor to me in the coming days. And that one-week scheduled meeting turned into a movement. It turned into this reviving moment that lasted, I think, four or five weeks. And Jack came to our chapel, and he just told about it. I mean, my heart, I, I wanted to leap out of my seat and just shout, because that's, I saw from this older generation man what I was praying for, what all of us were longing for. So right after that, we had a little noonday student-led service I happened to be in charge of. And I asked Jack Taylor, I said, would you come and just speak in our 15-minute service? He came and spoke for five minutes, and God walked into the room. I don't, I don't know any other way to say it. It was the manifest presence of God, and I wouldn't have been able to give that definition in the past, but that's what it was. All of a sudden, kids started standing up, students, and confessing sin, getting saved, uh, repenting of things, testifying about what God was doing. It went on through the noon hour, the one o'clock hour, the two o'clock hour, the three o'clock hour. All of our classes were canceled. The chapel just swelled until people were sitting in the windowsills and all up and down the aisles. It was an unbelievable moment. It was the first time I had been in what I would call now the manifest presence of God. And I realized something. God can do more in five minutes of his manifest presence than 50 years, 500 years of our best human effort. I want to tell you something. I was uh, 18 years old. That moment marked me. It, it just marked me. I got the taste of what it's like when God really shows up. And I've been dissatisfied with anything less than that for the rest of my life. And so I've thought about it, pursued it, gone after it, tried to help accelerate that in every way that I could. It was a, it was a, a, a spiritual encounter that marked me for the rest of my life. When we were beginning the one crime movement 10 years ago, uh, we gathered 50 of the most well-known Christian leaders in America together in the Atlanta airport 
And we spent the day just talking about why we need to see revival and awakening. We began by going around the tables in that room and asking all 50 of those men, when did God put a hunger for a greater movement of revival and awakening in your heart? Almost to a man, everyone said it was the Jesus movement. It was the Jesus movement. This moment of the accelerated work of God, just like me, they had been in that. And now all these men were leaders in our country. They were leaders in spiritual movements in great churches and in, in uh, ministries all across the nation. Why? Because they had a spiritual encounter that marked them for the rest of their life. I want to ask you a question. What do your children need? What does your youth group need? Well, we need this. We bet better programming. We need more activities. We need, you know, we need to teach them this and that. Yeah, that's fine. I want to tell you what they really need. They need a spiritual encounter that would mark them the rest of their lives. I love this story, and I'll 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 close with this, but there was a young college student. He was the first in his in his line that had ever gone to college. He went to Bible college. And uh, he had a friend who God was moving in that friend's heart, and he was speaking around at youth meetings. And, and so this, this kid went with his friend to one of the meetings where he was preaching, and the, and the friend named Seth Joshua said, we ought to pray, Lord, bend us, bend us. And when the altar call came, this young man went down, and he got before the Lord, and he said, Lord, bend me been me. He went home, and several nights later, at one o'clock in, in the night, God woke him up. And for the next two hours, he just met with the Lord. And, uh, and he thought, well, that was unusual. It had never happened to him before. And the next night, the exact same thing happened. At one o'clock, the Lord woke him up and kept him up for two hours. And then he went back to bed. This happened week after week, month after month. And God was downloading a vision in his soul and a message. When God, when God brings revival, he always raises up a voice. And many times it's the younger generation that is sensitive to hear that voice. And the message was a simple four-point message that if we want to see revival in our land, we need to confess every known sin we need to lay aside every doubtful habit. We need to obey the Spirit promptly. And we need to confess Christ or witness boldly. That was a message. And it just got so heavy on him. That's all he could think about. And then God gave him faith to believe and vision to believe that God was going to save 100,000 people in this little principality of Wales came a time when the burden got so heavy, and the Lord said, I want you to go tell your youth group back in Longor, Wales. And uh, he asked his president of the college, and the president, now the, the, here's a point, the president wisely said, if God is telling you to do this, leave school. Go, go do what God's telling you to do. A lot of people wouldn't say that. So he goes back on a Monday night, and they're having a meeting at church, and he said, I have something I'm supposed to tell the church. And the pastor said, well, you know, here's this kid. 
And he says, I'll tell people if they want to stay after our meeting and hear you. And they did. And God came. And the next night, the pastor in a scheduled meeting said, hey, I want you to take over. And he began to share this message, this burden. And God began to manifest himself in that church. And before long, every church in his town, and then it spread throughout the whole principality, uh, began to meet and cry out to God and pray. And in nine months, 100,000 people came to faith in Christ. It was a Welsh revival. Now, what happened? That young man at an altar had a spiritual encounter that marked him. And I'm just saying to us today, number one, are you having spiritual encounters that are marking you? And are you making a way for the next generation to have those encounters, celebrating them? providing the environment for them, looking for them, praying for them for the next generation so that God could use them in a mighty way for a spiritual movement. Amen. You know, I was thinking as you're sharing of all the men of God that's been in my life or that I admire and have learned from, uh, if I were to ask them that question, hey, what moments have marked you? They would know them instantly. Right. right. Because it was moments that changed the trajectory of their life. Right. You know, changed the things that they believed about God, believed about themselves, breakthroughs that happened in them. And man, we just need them. And we, we, we need to really believe for them. And I, I know that we even want to hear some stories of things God is doing. And so every time we have testimony time. And so today I want to encourage us to listen and let this help build our faith. And we'll come back and pray this in. Well, once again, I am blessed, One Cry family, to uh, be the reporter today of where God is at work, stirring hearts, and um, maybe embryonically, but maybe beyond that, where God is at work in genuine uh, revival. And I often said, uh, an old-fashioned revival, I mean, a Holy Spirit-empowered revival, I mean, a work-driven revival is what we need today. And at Liberty University just recently, uh, God brought somebody into chapel on a Wednesday, uh, they expanded it, extended it, included a Friday, and God began to work. And I want you to hear about that as uh, firsthand as you can. Dr. Ed Heinsen, professor there at Liberty, is with us. And um, you may recall that um, Dr. Ed Heinsen is an author well, of many books, but one of them entitled Glory in the Church, an account really of what God did in 1973 at Liberty University. And I thought there's no one better who knows that context to talk to us a little bit today to have a conversation about what God was up to just recently in Liberty. So Dr. Ed Heinsen, thank you once again for joining us, uh, for being a friend of God, a friend of revival and movements of his spirit, and a friend of our ministry. I'm so blessed that you would take time to interact a little bit. And God did stir recently at Liberty and tell us what you sensed, what you heard, what you observed. Yeah, it was an amazing move of God about a week ago at Liberty. Uh, hundreds of students made a profession of faith in Christ. There has not been a massive response uh, like there was last week, really since 1973 uh, and the Life Action Revival back then uh, when hundreds of students were saved and then out of that really got on fire for the Lord uh, in uh, their walk with God and uh, out of that early experience years ago, 
there were literally scores of people that went into full-time Christian work uh, all over the world. And it's our hope that would happen again this time. Uh, the speaker was Jay Louder, to be honest. Most people had never heard of him uh, out of Texas. Uh, and uh, interestingly, preached on Matthew 7, the same thing Dell preached on 48 years ago, uh, that uh, just because you uh, claim a faith, if there's no possession uh, and no fruit and no reality, uh, then you have to call that into question and gave his own story of how he finally came to really get saved and God turned his whole life around. And then the Lord used that uh, convictingly with students and uh, there were literally hundreds that responded. It was the biggest uh, single one day invitation response uh, at Liberty in the last 48 years. Uh, and there've been times God has moved powerfully uh, but nothing on the level of what happened uh, last week. And so uh, the pastor campus shepherd's office has been busy following up with students. Uh, I heard a story of one men's dorm, 13 guys got saved on one hall. Uh, and so the RAs are dealing with them, working with them and trying to help them get grounded in their walk with Christ uh, for the years ahead. There's a real positive uh, exciting spirit here right now uh, that only God could produce during a COVID-restricted two years in a row. Uh, it, it's as though uh, people are facing the seriousness of life, death, and eternity, uh, maybe more realistically than ever before. Uh, life in America is too easy, too simple for most people. Uh, you know, I've been in the ministry for 50 years trying to help people go to heaven. Most people will say, I want to go, but I'm not in a hurry to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we have too many things in our culture holding us back, where if you go to the third world, they want to know, can we go right now? Mm -hmm. So I think when God strips away people's hopes in politics, people's hopes in the culture, uh, people's uh, hopes in the economy, uh, when everything seems to be turning upside down in our culture right now, when everything's going wrong, God is always going right. Uh, and uh, God is at work in a powerful way. And I think he's getting people's attention. And this is just one glimmer uh, of that kind of thing uh, that's happening right now. So I know you've been a student of revival, obviously, for years. And you made a comment here and just talking about how you hope uh, that the overflow of this will be students thrust into kingdom action, kingdom work as a result of this movement and um, cited what happened in 73. I know in 95, when God moved on college campuses, uh, uh, Wheaton College, they said they had something like 12 or 15 students majoring in missions in the following fall, 300 students majored in missions. And the student volunteer movement, was it, Ed, back from the Williams College, maybe the Haystack Revival or something in the early 1800s? Uh, uh, that's when God sent 20,000 of those students. And the universities were small back then, uh, but ultimately overseas in missions. So uh, is that always the case, whether it's a local church revival or whether it's a campus revival? Is that just a natural overflow? And if so, why? I think it is, because if you really have an encounter with Christ and he is who he claims he is and he can do what he said he can do, 
then you sense immediately, I need to give my life to this cause. I need to serve him uh, and throw myself into his service, not to earn his favor, but to show my worship, my gratitude, my uh, commitments to him, etc. And I think that when Christianity becomes too mundane, then there's a lack of commitment. Uh, we drop in quickly uh, in too many evangelical churches today. We're almost like the old liberal churches. You come in for an hour, listen to a sermon, and you're out until next week. Uh, and so when God really moves and gets a hold of you, you can't get enough of the word of God. You can't get enough of praying together uh, and enough of wanting to seek to serve the Lord together. Mm. And so I think God inflames that in a fresh way in people's lives. And so I would anticipate uh, the same thing out of this. Uh, we That week was followed by an emphasis on uh, missions uh, and global outreach, and this week on Christian camping. And there are literally hundreds of students signing up and volunteering yeah. to yeah. get involved in all these things. Well, I love that. And they say movements begin when you have a white hot heart. And uh, these students have a white hot heart now. So who knows how God's going to use them. Hey, just maybe just because uh, I think pastors and some of the leaders that are hoping God does something similar in their community, whatever that may look like, uh, uh, I'm going to wonder, what do you do next? So what kind of advice or counsel? How could we pray for the administration? How can we pray for the students? I'm sure the enemy wants to come in and undo whatever he can. And and probably even, and we talked about this the other day, uh, there are some who are going to be very suspicious, suspect of what God did and, and begin to even yeah. criticize it. Is that natural? Just tell us a little bit of those. Yeah, interestingly, yeah, that is natural. Uh, the same thing happened to Whitfield back in his day. Uh, when the response is expressive, somebody's always going to say, well, maybe it's just emotional. Uh, they all got caught up in the emotion of the moment or whatever. Uh, and uh, sometimes it's the person whose heart did not get stirred uh, mm -hmm. that is more critical. Yeah. I, I think of, uh, uh, you know, Saul's daughter, David's wife, griping and complaining that he was too expressive in his worship uh, when he brought the tabernacle into Jerusalem and God had to rebuke her. Uh, so I'd be real slow to speak against what God was doing, give it time to see what's the evidence of this down the road. But uh, for the local church, uh, I, I think the concern there is uh, that we, we have to allow the Spirit of God, the freedom to move beyond just our structures. We cannot just program a revival and hope it's going to happen. Uh, it only happens really when the Spirit of God revives the heart uh, of the believer to get on fire for God, or when the Spirit of God converts the heart of the unbeliever and mm -hmm. ignites them with real spiritual life and passion but when the passion is there, it makes a difference then uh, in how we communicate uh, the word of God, how we pray for each other, how we interact with one another. Uh, you're talking about what God is doing. Uh, you're not just going to church to talk about what the church is doing uh, or what the local football team is doing. Uh, you're excited about what Jesus is doing uh, and you cannot highlight him enough. Uh, as he said, when I'm lifted up, uh, I'll draw all men unto myself, but we have to lift them up. You know, uh, 
maybe my favorite uh, and maybe most comprehensive in some ways definition of revival. I first heard from uh, our mutual friend and the founder of Life Action Ministries, Del Faisenfeld Jr., but it went like this, a movement of God's spirit through the power of his word to the hearts of his children that resurrects to new life areas of been lying stagnant, dormant, or out of balance and results in a fresh new love and obedience to Jesus Christ. And that sounds like what happened. There's a fresh new love. I think Duncan Campbell said revivals, just falling in love with Jesus all over again, but followed by obedience to Jesus Christ and going, here am I, send me mentalities. Thank you so much. God bless. Well, Kyle, the exciting thing to me is this is one story of something that's right. just recently happened. Yeah. We're hearing story after story yeah. of this, yeah. and and we're hearing it from pastors. We're mm. hearing it on the college campuses, and it's just the kind of stories mm. we began to hear in the Jesus movement, right. in the Welsh revival, right. uh, these extraordinary moments where all these people are getting saved. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, you couldn't orchestrate that. Right, right. And uh, so we want that to accelerate. We want that to do nothing but grow, and that's a spiritual awakening. That's right. right. So let's let's pray that in. And Kyle, why don't you begin? Yes. And you join us right now as we pray for this very thing in the next generation. So, Lord, um, college campuses, high schools, junior highs, elementary schools, preschools, God, <laughs> I, we ask for a movement of the Spirit that marks the next generation, God, mm -hmm. that marks them with power, with passion for you, Jesus, like a real love, mm -hmm. affection for you, and faith. God, I, yeah. I pray, we pray for a generation, like the story that Bill shared, a generation of young men and women that if you say that the mountain's going to be cast into the sea, they'd believe it. That's right. They'd believe it and then move toward it like it's going to be leveled before them and tell other people God's going to cast that mountain into the sea mm -hmm. and that they would go and, and, and in faith believe for college campuses and mm -hmm. would believe for uh, their generation, God, would believe for athletic teams mm -hmm. and drama clubs and everything in between, Lord Jesus, that they would just mm -hmm. have faith that moves, mm -hmm. faith that moves mountains, God. Mm -hmm. So we just ask for that. To ha it's happening, and we just pray it would intensify and spread even now in Jesus' right. name. And Father, we just want to tell you we believe you. That's right. We believe you. We we believe that you can and will and have done exceedingly beyond everything that we could ask about, everything we could even think about. Lord, you can do exceeding abundantly beyond that. And we thank you that coupled with that power is your passion. You love people. Yes. And you loved us so much you sent your son so that people could be saved from a life without you. And so, Lord, we pray in the name of Christ that we would, we would cooperate with you. Lord, just Evan Roberts getting on his knees at that altar and, and just saying yes. Just yes, Lord, whatever it is, the answer is yes. And I pray, Father, that right now, even as we're listening to this podcast in a car or in our home or in a classroom or a church or a small group, Lord, we, we would just say yes to you. And Father, we would be ones who experience revival mm -hmm. and help lead the next generation yeah. in revival. And Lord, when you began to use 
young men and women in the next generation. Lord, please don't let us despise your work. Don't let us question what you're doing. Don't let us say, well, they're just young. This is just emotionalism. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would use them and we could come alongside and help them and provide environments and, uh, and encouragement for them to just keep saying yes to God. So take us there, Lord, and uh, we'll give you glory in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again for joining us today on the One Cry Podcast. Man, as the Lord speaks to you, share it with somebody else. Right. Yeah, pass it on. And each week we'll come back and keep believing that God is layering in things for the coming revival. We'll see you again soon.